Mastermind Agent is proud to present the Interview of the Month Club. Top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Steve Cohen with Cowell Banker in Arlington Heights, Illinois. In 2010, he closed 106 transactions with a total sales volume of $26 million. His average sales price was $252,000, of which 33% were buyers and 67% were sellers. He operates a team with five members, one realtor partner, one listings manager, one transaction manager, and one team leader. Steve Cohen is the team leader of the Stick With Steve team. He has been an agent for 23 years. He works the northwest suburbs of Chicago. In this call, Steve talks about how to sell your listings in 31 days or less, even in a down market. Why telling stories will sell more homes. How to earn high commissions, get fewer objections, and sell homes faster. Setting all your listing appointments in your office, including scripts. Getting hired before you see the house or set a price. How to price a home to sell and get the seller to agree using the grocery line concept. What is a worry price and how to use it to sell more homes. How to calculate the absorption rate for the seller's home versus the general market. What you need in your pre-listing package. How to bounce back from a major setback, illness, divorce, or downturn. Reorganizing your team in tough times and rebuilding after shrinking. Realtor partners versus buyer agents. How to generate 80% of your business from high-profit sources such as past clients, sphere of influence, and referrals. Wowing your past clients with gifts that keep on giving year after year, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Steve. Thanks. It's great to be here. Steve, before we talk about what you're doing now, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Boy, it's hard to remember that far back. I've been selling real estate for 23 years. But uh, when I graduated college, uh, my degree was in architecture. And I graduated in 1977. And at that time, uh, the building industry was in a building recession. Uh, I had 700 kids in my graduating class from the University of Illinois, and only three got jobs in the Chicago market. So I went to work at that time for my uncle. My uncle owned a kitchen and bath design showroom uh, in the North Shore here of Chicago, and I went to work for him uh, designing kitchens and baths. In fact, uh, I had been published about 15 times in magazines like Better Homes and Garden and Metropolitan Home Magazine for kitchens and baths that I had designed. I did that for 11 years until I became a realtor. 
And what made you decide to move out of the kitchen and bath design into real estate? Well, one thing, you know, as you were going through the ups and downs in kitchen and bath, you know, in, in the, I should say, in the building industry, you found that there were times when, you know, all of a sudden you were pricing a, a kitchen as if it was one unit, but you were pricing it as, as if they were buying 30 kitchens from you. Maybe you were like selling it in a, a condo building or something like that. And I could see the profit was leaving the business. And the overall plan was for me eventually to buy this business from my uncle and take it over as he retired. And I could just see as as the profit was going away and going away, there wasn't going to be much left there, I thought, uh, going on in that business. And I wanted some extra income at the time. I always worked hard. I learned that from the right from the beginning. You know, I, I worked from when I was 14 years old in a, you know, in a, in a chicken place, uh, uh, you know, making chicken and fried chicken and stuff and things like that and never minded working hard. So I decided I was you know, going to go out and get a second job. And I didn't know what to do. I, I, at first, I was thinking of going back to law school, but then I knew I'd have to leave this job. I had a family at the time and, and thought, well, what can I do without going back to school? And I thought of two things. I thought I could you know, be a realtor or I could be a waiter. And, uh, you know, and obviously I didn't want to wait at Denny's. I wanted to wait at a you know, fancy steak place. You know, I could see what they were making there as a waiter. And you know, I saw what I was leaving in tips. I thought... That wouldn't be bad. And I had also had a friend who owned a real estate company at the time, and he was my realtor. And I, you know, we'd go out at night, you know, him and his wife and me and my wife, and I'd see him on the phone and making deals and, you know, thought he was doing that every day and, and, and making a lot of money. Um, but first I went on some waiter jobs, uh, interviews, and found out I couldn't get a job. And I was thinking, you know, this is kind of weird. I mean, I'm making a good living. I'm a pretty bright guy, got a college education. But, you know, they, you know, as in any job, they wanted you to have experience, you know, to be in the top echelon of their business. So my buddy called me and he goes, Steve, look, I'll make a deal with you. I'll let you go and get your license. I'll hire you. I'll let you be a realtor, but you've got to you've got to be a realtor for six months. And at the end of six months, you've got to decide either I'm going to be a realtor full time, or and quit my other job, or I'm going to get out of the business. And uh, you know, I you know I listened to him, but I thought in the back of my head, you know, I I don't mind working hard. I could do both jobs at the same time. You know, I don't need to listen to what he's saying. Well, after six months, I left my job I've been doing for eleven years and and became a realtor full time. So you started the business part-time. Right. I started uh, part-time. I started January 1st of 1990. Um, but what I found was I was spending all of my time on the real estate end and none of my time in the kitchen business uh, because I saw that in order to be a realtor, it really ta- you really need to be available, number one. And, and number two, it takes a lot of time, especially when you're building a business. Um, I sold three homes my first week. Um, all three of them fell apart because I had no idea what I was doing at the time. I kind of went into it without any training or anything because I went to work for a company that, you know, you were supposed to know what you were doing in order to work for a company like that. And so I kind of went by the seat of my pants, but got very busy very quickly. In that first six months, how many homes did you sell? Well, I can tell you in the first year, I sold 28 homes. I was the rookie of the year for the MLS at that time. Um, but I would say probably 
you know, a third of that, you know, probably in the first six months, but enough to find out that I love the job. That was that was the first thing. I love doing what I was doing. You know, when I was in the kitchen business, it was kind of funny. You know, somebody would call you up and say, hey, it's, you know, the day before Thanksgiving, we're having a big party. You know, my drawer guide isn't working correctly or my door isn't lined up. Can you send a carpenter over for free? It was a hard business that you didn't want to ask people for referrals because you were afraid that something was going to be wrong that they'd want you to come out and fix. You know, the building industry, it's not a precise industry. You know, cabinets are perfectly square and straight, but walls and floors and ceilings are not. And when you put the two together, you know, it's it's almost like after you did a job, you hoped you didn't hear from the client again. When I got into this business, I found out, wait, they're happy with what I've done. They want to hear from me again, and they want to help your business grow and refer you. You mentioned you've been in the business a while. Did you say 23 years? 23 years now. How many homes did you sell in uh, 2010? Uh, 2010, I sold 106 properties. At that time, how many team members did you have? At that time, I had four. I had a, a listing manager, a transaction manager, and I had a buyer's agent. Last year, your production fell off dramatically. What happened? Actually, I became very, very sick and had missed four months of the year uh, due to an illness. Um, I actually teach realtors around the country for different organizations, and I was down in Austin, Texas, teaching down there, and I inhaled, believe it or not, a fungus that had gotten into the ground. It came from bat droppings, gets into the ground. Dry, it's so dry down there, it gets up in the air, and I had inhaled it, and um, it had incubated in my body for about a month. Uh, and the day after Christmas, I came down with 105 fever, which I had for about a week. And after that time, they stuck me in the hospital. Next thing I know, I was there 12 days and and um, had caught this disease that was very, very serious. Most people don't survive from that. I lost 60 pounds. I uh, I was on very heavy medication for about a month after that. Um, it was a very, very sad situation. But the worst part of you know, I shouldn't say the worst part of it because obviously it changed a lot of things in my life. But, you know, obviously my business was not number one on my mind at that time. One of the things I learned from that is you need to have a plan B. You know, I didn't have a plan B. I had a buyer's agent and, like I said, a listing manager, a transaction manager, and I was the only rainmaker. And there was no rain being made. So when you're off four months, there's no business coming in. Or I shouldn't say that. There was business coming in, but nobody knew what to do with it. And at that point, I just I didn't have the, the thought process or anything else to, to handle that end of it. It was, it was way down the ladder on what I was, things I was worried about at the time. So what happened to the business and your team since there was no Rainmaker? What I did was I started to come back to work part-time in April of that year and, and really, you know, I'm going to call it full-time in May, but, you know, full-time for a realtor is double full-time for a normal person usually. So I wasn't really back as I should have been. And what I had to do was I had to let go two of my team members, which was very hard to do because you feel very, you know, your team members are like family to you. 
and you feel very responsible for for their livelihood. But, you know, I had money going out every month and didn't have anything coming in at the time because once I did get back in the business, and you know in our business, you when you do sell a home, you really don't get paid for that home for maybe two months later. So there was a big lag in 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 sales and then in, in income coming in. So I had to let my buyer's agent go and I had to let my transaction manager go. And that meant two of us were doing the work for four of us. How long did it take you to recover from that illness? Well, from the illness itself, I was on medication for a year. However, you know, probably, I'm trying to remember back, by about August or September of last year, I started to feel myself. I had put, you know, unfortunately, I put weight back on more than, than, than you know, I, when I lost 60, I thought, gee, it'd be good to put 40 back on and still lost 20. But uh, I got back to normal and, and, and got back into the right frame of mind and everything else. But, you know, what happened is I really couldn't build the business up you know enough where I could hire somebody back until this past year and uh in this past year in March I hired a a transaction manager again not the same one and uh in June of this year I hired not a buyer's agent but a realtor partner this time I have that plan B so that if you know I don't want somebody that only works with buyers but I want somebody that can also take listings and then I also hired a uh, a uh, well, I'm going to call her a prospector, but she's somebody who handles all of our internet marketing and leads from that. So that uh, you know, I, f- I found that that was one of the things that we let go when we didn't have time to to keep up with it. We're going to come back to team and talk about them in a minute. Let's get back into this. This illness and the bounce back, because a lot of people experience a setback, either from illness or a divorce or a, a partnership breaking up, all kinds of reasons. How did you drive yourself to make a bounce back, to, to come back and not, say, leave the industry? Well, you know, again, a lot of it has to do with I, I love what I do. And, and I don't think you can be a realtor if you don't, because the amount of of effort and time and pressures and things that we go through. I don't think the average public understands what a realtor really is. And, and you know, we've got to be everything. We've got to be a marriage counselor and a psychiatrist. And, I mean, there's there's so many hats that we have to fill. And you so you have to really love what you do. And I love what I do. I knew this was the career I wanted to be in. And I knew you know, from my clients and, and and how I've kept my clients over the year. And, and here's the thing, you'd be surprised how many clients were generally interested in how I was doing. You know, that was that was one of the amazing things to me is is, you know, you think of, you know, they're your clients. But they're not. You're, they really become your friends and your family throughout, you know, the the way that you help them. And and that comes back to you. And I didn't realize that as much until, obviously, you become sick and have something traumatic like that happen in your life. Um, so I knew it was what I wanted to do. It was just a matter of getting back to the basics and, and you know, one step in front of the other day by day and building it back to what I to what I had. And one of the things I found I had to do was I had to kind of reinvent myself a little bit as far as, 
you know, how I do my business, because obviously, you know, we were also in a market that was, uh, you know, and, you know, my market was in a huge declining market at that time. And um, I had to make sure that, you know, I had to have more appointments and, and more people to work with. So uh, in order to get that business back at that time. You've been pulling your business back around this last year, during this year, 2012. How have you done year to date? How many homes have you sold this year? Uh, pretty well. I've sold 72, uh, 73 homes. I'm sorry, we've sold one yesterday, uh, this year. Um, so it's been it's been a good year. My my average sales per year are usually somewhere between 60 and 80 homes. So we're right on what we do year in year out. You definitely successfully bounced back. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Feels good to be back. Let's switch gears for a minute and talk about your market and where you're at. You're in Arlington Heights, Illinois. Where is that? Arlington Heights is a northwest suburb of Chicagoland. So we're we're kind of northwest of O'Hare Airport. Um, the, the closest suburbs around us would be Arlington Heights, Palatine, Mount Prospect, uh, Schomburg, Elk Grove, Rolling Meadows, Hoffman Estates, Buffalo Grove, Barrington. That's kind of our area. So we're, you know, Chicago's kind of like half of a wheel of a bicycle wheel. The, the Chicago itself is on the lake and everything is southwest, west, and northwest of the city. Do you work the entire Chicago area or just up in the northwest suburbs? We work wherever we need to go. You know, that's one of the things, you know, we go where we need to go. But obviously, we focus more on the northwest suburbs. So most of our business does come from here. Describe your current real estate market. Well, first of all, we're we're a very diverse market. We've got everything from condos and coach homes to multi-million dollar homes. Uh, it, it's just a very diverse market. Our market, though, we're down about 35 to 40 percent from where we were in 06 and 07. So homes here right now are selling about it at the price of where they were in 1997, 1998. The thing about the Chicago market, we're a little different than some other markets. We don't have a lot of appreciation when we do appreciate. Our our normal average appreciation is about 3 to 5%. Um, when the market was really hot in those years between 01 and 06, you know, we were in the 8 to 10% range for appreciation. So, again, not like a California where you might have 68% appreciation in San Diego. But when we got hit, you know, this was really the first declining market we've had in Chicagoland since the Great Depression. So none of the agents here were really ready for that. They've never been in, all the agents that are agents now have never been in, weren't an agent back in the Great Depression. So it was a tough adjustment for agents to, to learn what to do and how to do it in a market that they've never been in. What's your average price? Uh, my average price right now is 291. Um, so we've moved up from where I was uh, back in 2010. And the reason for that is not that our prices are going up because they're not yet, um, but the uh, the the people that have a little bit higher priced homes are now selling again, which they weren't doing, you know, in 08, 09, and 2010. Average days on the market. Well, my average days on the market for 23 years has always been under 31 days. In fact, this year, my average days on market are under three weeks. 
our marketplace as a total, the average days on market, is about 90 to 100, 120. Wow. And I've got to ask, why have you been so much faster than the average market? I've always tried to find what works. You know, when I when our market changed, you know, I knew I couldn't do things the way I always did them before. So I had to learn, number one, how to price a home correctly. You know, I think the problem is a lot of agents don't tell the client what they need to hear, but they tell them what they want to hear. And it isn't always because the client because the client won't agree with them. A lot of times, I think, is the agent doesn't know themselves where the house needs to be, especially, again, in our market where they hadn't you know, had a market like this before. So I actually went out and I learned from other agents who were in markets like this, you know, people from California and people from Arizona and people that were in markets that, you know, they would have appreciating markets and then declining markets and then appreciating markets and then declining markets. And I tried to learn from them, what do they do when prices are come down? How are they pricing homes? How are they moving their homes? And then I incorporated that into my business. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. And this was probably... I think this was in July of 08 was when I went to uh to find this out. And at that time I had about oh, about 35 listings that were on the market that were not sold. And you know as an agent, I thought I was telling my clients I was giving them the right the right information. You know, I was giving them the best of what I knew at the time. And when I learned how agents sold homes in this in this market and how they priced them correctly and the, the verbiage that they use for a seller to understand, I found out I wasn't doing what I needed to do. So, you know, what I did was I put my tail between my legs and I called up every one of my clients and I had them come in one at a time into my office and I explained to them. First, I apologized to them. I said, look, I thought I was giving you my best expertise and I was at the time but I wasn't giving you the right expertise. And I've learned that now. And if you listen to what I tell you, we're going to get your house sold. And that's what I did with each one of them. And I sold all of those homes within the next 30 to 45 days. And at that point, now I had a track record going. So as I'm talking to other people, I could show them how this works and, and you know, give real examples rather than just telling them it's going to work. I assume these were price reductions is how you got the home sold. Is that correct? Yeah, but it wasn't just a price reduction. It was how to figure out where the price needs to be. That's where the magic is. The magic is getting the right price to start with. It's not giving a high price and keep reducing, reducing, reducing. You know, I, I call this the market a slinky market. It's like the old slinky toy going down the stairs. And I'm a very visual person. You know, I, I have when I have my clients in front of me, I'm using my hands a lot. And I'm, as I'm talking to you on the phone, I'm using my hands. And I call it a slinky market going down the stairs. And I explain to sellers what most sellers do is they price themselves above the market. And it's for a variety of reasons. Sometimes they didn't listen to what the realtor told them. Or sometimes the realtor you know, gave them the wrong information. Or maybe they thought their home was unique and the market didn't affect them. But what happens is when their house doesn't sell, they lower their price of their house. But the market's already moved. So they just keep chasing that slinky going down the stairs from behind. And you, you know, everybody knows you can't catch a slinky going down the stairs from behind it. What you need to do is get in front of it. 
And anybody can price your home way, you know, five steps or 10 steps below the slinky. But how do you get to that one step just right in front of the, right in front of the slinky where it's at now? And I call that winning two battles. I call it winning what we call the price war and the beauty pageant. You have to have the best looking house at the best price. And there's a formula to get there. And that's what I teach them is, is that formula on how we get there. So it's not that we're just picking a price and lowering it. We actually have a plan for how do we get to the right price to start with. And then we have a plan if we didn't get to the right price. We thought we got to the right price and it wasn't. Tell us more about that. So how are you identifying the proper price? The first thing that I do is, and, and one of the things you have to know is, I don't actually give a seller a price until they've hired me. Okay, But I'm going to give them my expertise on how we're going to arrive at that price. Because if I gave a seller that price, they could go and hire their brother-in-law or their mother-in-law or their next-door neighbor, and their home's going to sell if they do what I told them to do. So what I do is I have them come into my office. All of my listing appointments are at my office. And they come in here and we sit down and we spend about an hour and a half or so talking about the market. And I explain, and, and most sellers now kind of get it. But the thing that I do is I explain to them that we can't really price your home until the day or two before you're ready to go on the market. Now, I'm going to explain to you why. The two things we have to find out is, we number one, we have to find out what the absorption rate is for their particular home, and then we have to find what I call their grocery line. I'll explain that in a second to you. But the first piece of information they have to understand is, how does a buyer find a home today? And, and obviously, they all know because they're looking the same way other buyers are, and that's on the Internet. And buyers, a lot of times, think they're actually on the MLS, but they're not. They're really on some kind of a website, whether it's Realtor.com or Zillow or Trulia or Caldwell Banker or StickWithSteve.com. They're on some website. And those websites download from the MLS anywhere between almost every 15 minutes and maybe once a week and everything in between. So every buyer that's looking for their home is going to know about it in the first week. Because what a buyer does is they put the criteria of their home into the computer. You know, I'm looking for a four-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath, two-story with a two-car garage and a basement, and I want to be between three fifty and 400000 You know, when they do that, the computer is going to spit out to them all of the listings that are in the MLS right now that meet that criteria. And what's the buyer going to do? They're going to look at the pictures. They don't even look at the comments anymore because they can already see in the pictures if you've got granite countertops and hardwood floors and stainless steel appliances. You know, the buyer can do everything they want to do in one night now. They don't have to spend six months looking for homes, see six today and seven next weekend and six the week after that. They can go through the Internet and see all the homes in a night or two at 2 o'clock in the morning in their underwear. You know, that's the driving that they're doing now. They're not driving around from house to house and spending 3 or $4 a gallon doing it. They're driving on the Internet. So what happens is when they get this list of homes, they go through and they look at all the photos, and they go delete, 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 delete. Hey, we maybe like this one. Or delete, 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 maybe this one. Delete, delete, delete. 
and they'll end up instead of seeing 50 or 60 homes, which they did see, your first showing is actually on the internet, they may only really want to go out and see three or four homes. You know, those were the ones that met their needs. And chances are, maybe they didn't see anything that they liked. Because remember, those homes that are on the MLS, unless they've only been on a short time, are the leftovers. They're the ones that nobody else wanted either. They're probably overpriced. So what they're really waiting for is the website that they're on will go ahead and email them on a daily basis any new listing that comes on the market that meets their criteria. Now the demand is on the buyer to beat the other buyers to that house if it's one they like. So when they look at it, they're going to decide, does that house win those two battles, the price war and the beauty pageant? Is that the best house I've seen so far at the best price? And if it is, they want to run out and see it because, again, they want to beat the other buyer to it. They don't want to end up in a multiple offer where they may pay more for the house than they normally would. And they don't want to take a chance on losing it where somebody else buys it before they get to. So if every buyer is knowing about your house that's in the marketplace, and I usually say in the first week or two, because not everybody checks their email every day. Somebody might be on vacation for a week or two. But within the first two or three weeks, if they haven't picked your house to come out and see, you're gone. You're forever gone. Because that means you weren't in front of the market. You're somewhere above the market. And they didn't feel your house was worth seeing, let alone buying. So now that you know that they, they're going to buy your house, and I explained this to my sellers, if we're going to sell your house and this is the price and this is how it's going to look, it's going to sell in the first three weeks. And if it doesn't, that means something's wrong. We're either not winning the price war or we're not winning the beauty pageant. Now, the way we figure that price, and I, again, I tell them they need to do this a day or two before they're actually going on the market because we need up to the minute data. I'm going to have them come into my office again, and they're going to take off their seller hat, and they're going to put on their buyer hat, and we're going to pretend they're a buyer for their home. And in my office, I have a little table, and I have a big screen TV, and that's not for me to watch TV, I explain to them. It's, it's for them, so they can see the listings and the photos as a buyer would be looking at them. So we put their criteria in the computer, and we go back three months, and we see how many people have bought their home in the last three months. So we'll put into the computer four-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath, two-story with a basement and a two-car garage in such-and-such an area at such-and-such a price range. And I'll go back three months, and I'll see how many people have either closed or went under a pending or a contingency, but the home is under contract now in those last three months. I'll then take that number and divide it by three. And that tells me how many people are buying their home per month. That's the absorption rate. A lot of realtors kind of get this wrong because they think the absorption rate, and it is an absorption rate, is the number of months it takes to get rid of all the inventory out there. So like I would tell you in my market, our absorption rate in January was nine months and our absorption rate now is four months. But we don't care about all the inventory. We only care about their inventory, the criteria for their competition. That's what's important here. Once we get that absorption rate, and I've seen them as low as zero and as high as 10, but usually it's somewhere in that two to four range. Now we have to find what I call their grocery line. 
and what their grocery line is, that's their competition. I tell them it's an analogy. Pretend that all the sellers that have homes similar to yours, you're all at Costco. You all have your groceries filled in your grocery cart, and you're all standing at the, at the checkout line waiting to check out. The only people checking out this month or going under contract or selling are those within the absorption rate. If only two people sell per month buying your particular type of property, you need to be one of those two. The rest of you are just standing in line, and that's all the homes that are on the MLS. And then while you're standing in line, a guy with his groceries cuts in line in front of you. A new listing came on the market that might be lower priced than you. And then another guy cuts in line in front of you. He had a listing that was higher than you, and it didn't sell, and now he lowered it, and he's lower than you. And then maybe you cut back in line in front of them. But it doesn't matter. None of you are checking out. You're all just moving around in line. You need to be within that absorption rate in order to sell. So what I explained to them is when they come in here, we're going to start at the lowest price house, and we're going to look at the photos. Because the, remember, the buyer doesn't know that you have this great white tree that blooms white flowers in the spring or that you raised your family in this house and you've got all this meaning for it. Or, or you know, They don't know that kind of stuff. All they know is what they see in the pictures. So we're going to look at the pictures, and we're going, I'm going to ask you on each and every house, is that house as nice or nicer than yours? And if it is as nice or nicer, we're going to check it off. And if it isn't, we're going to just pass it by. We're going to delete it just like a buyer would. But when we reach your absorption rate, we're going to stop because we know if we go any higher or any further than that, we're not going to sell this month. And that means you're not going to sell until, again, you make an adjustment to get back in front of where the market is. And it sounds very simple, and it is very simple, but you've got to explain it in a way that they understand it. And that makes it very simple for them to see that, hey, this is how homes are sold. And even if it's an appreciating market, an appreciating market, you know, you can price a home higher than maybe where it's going to sell. And eventually it'll catch up to you. You know, it might take two years to get there, but you'll get there. But in a depreciating market, the market's going the other direction. And if you don't sell, then you're not going to sell three months from now or six months from now or a year from now because now the market's down below. And if you didn't compete when you came on, you're certainly not going to compete now. You know, I always have clients come in. They go, well, we're not in a hurry. We don't, you know, we want to get our price. I go, well, then you better be in a hurry because the highest price you're going to get is today. This grocery line idea Let's give a couple of quick examples just to make sure I have it. So if you're looking at the, the market for the type of home that they have for sale and you determine that there are 20 homes for sale, you're going to start at the lowest price home and work up. And if you've determined earlier that three homes are selling each month, you're going to want to price in the lowest three prices. Is, is that the philosophy there? Sure. You, you don't want to be higher than the third guy. You want to now become the third guy. <laughs> Okay, because if only three sell per month, you need to be one of those three. And how many people that come in and go through this meeting with you choose to be in those, in, this, in our example, the top three? Or they, they try to move themselves to the front of the grocery line? Almost everybody, but I'm going to give you a couple of real-life situations, okay? 
I have a house I put on the market here in Arlington Heights. My seller came in day before we're going to go on the market. And we determined that the right price for him was $424,900 or $425. And he goes, Steve, I see this. I know exactly what you're telling me. But you know what? I've got you know something unique about my house. It's a walk to town, and I think that's going to pull a little bit better. He goes, I think we should try 450. And I go, oh, sure. You know, again, my job. And here's what I tell my clients when they come in: It's your house, and my job is to give you the expertise so that you can make an educated decision on what's in your best interest. So I'm always going to tell you what I believe you need to do, and then you're going to make your own decision on what you really need to do. Same thing when I tell them what needs to be done in the house to make it show correctly. I'm going to tell them whatever I think needs to be done. They may not do everything. That's their choice. But my job is to give them the expertise so they can make that choice. So when, they, when he said this, he goes, Steve, I think we should be at 450. I go, well, okay. That's what you want to do. That's what we'll do. So we listed at 450. I had 16 showings on the house in three days, which is really, if I had 16 showings in a month, that would be a lot in our market at this point. We had 16 showings in three days, zero offers. So one of the things that I do for my sellers is I put them on the actual MLS as if they're a buyer with their house being the top priced home. So anything that happens in front of them in their grocery line, another house sells, another house goes under contract, a new listing comes on, they see it just as quickly as I would see it. And I usually tell my sellers, you know, we'll go about three weeks, and if we haven't sold, that means we're not below the market like we thought we are. We might be slightly above it. And we need to adjust that quickly before the market moves a lot. Because if you take three months or six months to adjust, now you've lost a lot of money you've left on the table that you could have gotten for your home. So he calls me up and he goes, Steve, he goes, you know, it's been three days. We've had all these showings and no offers. What's the matter? And I go, well, we haven't gotten to what we call the worry price, okay? The worry price, because the buyers are playing the same game the sellers are playing right now. The buyers are going, I know everybody's lowering their prices on their homes. They're waiting to see you lower, 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 lower until you get to the price where they're worried that somebody else is going to buy it out from underneath them. And it's a game that's being played. I go, when you were in here, I go, we determined that the right price, that worry price, that price just below market, that even if they paid you the asking price or getting a good deal on your house, was 425 I go, I think we need to get there right now. Because again, if you, when you list your home, one of three things is going to happen. You're either going to get no showings, which means you're way off because nobody thought you were worth coming to see. Or you're going to get showings and no offers, which means you're a little off. Or you're going to sell, which is what we're trying to do. So we decided after three days, we weren't going to wait three weeks because we had three weeks of showings in three days. We adjusted his price back to 424.9. I had four offers the following day on the house. We actually sold that house for 435, which was 10,000 over the asking price, which we would have done. He would have sold it at that at 450. However, nobody at 450 thought it was 
in a rush or, or needed, there was no worry that they thought they'd lose that house. But when it got to 425, the offer started rolling in, and obviously that's when it bid itself up, and he got his price. And, and that's the program. You know, a lot of people, here's the objections you get when you price a home where it should be. People go, well, what if I price it there, and then they come in with a low offer? And I tell them, quite honestly, hey, that's better than the offer you had yesterday, because it is. You didn't have any offers yesterday. I have nothing I can negotiate until the point that I have something signed in front of me. And at that point, now I can start working with that other agent and explain to them how I understand what their buyers are doing, that they're you know, they're doing like they would on any listing out there because most of the listings out there are overpriced. But in this particular case, my seller priced their home below market. If your person paid asking price, they're still getting a great deal on it. Now, I, I always work with the other agent. I never want to work antagonistically with them. They have a buyer that wants to buy, and I have a seller that wants to sell. And I don't want me and the other realtor to get between that. So I work with them, and I'll say something to them like, you know, maybe we missed something. Maybe there's a comp out there that, you know, a comparable that we didn't see. So please, if there is, show it to us. And I'm happy to show that to my seller. I know we looked at everything. <laughs> you know, we did our homework. So I'm usually going to get a comment from them either, well, I didn't show my buyer any comparables <laughs> or, you know, they didn't do their job like they should have. Or, well, my buyer just wanted to do this, so I did it the way he wanted to do it. And I go, well, here's what you need to do. Show them the comparable. Show them that the house is worth where we're at, because I know they want to buy it. And it works. They come back, we get the deal together, and we go from there. Steve, it's interesting, the the process you're using, the, the stories that you're giving us, I assume these are the the stories that you're using during your presentation. In fact, I labeled you the storyteller. You're painting pictures for people. Well, all of us have our own examples. And if you don't, make one up. But I, I mean, I have my own examples. I've gone through this. You know, people go, you know, I'll, I'll give you a good example. They go, well, why can't you price it today, even though I'm not going on the market for three weeks? And I explained to them, hey, I had a house here in Arlington Heights, and my, my clients, my sellers came in on Friday to price it. We were going on the market on Monday. And they came in and we decided their home should be three forty nine nine or three fifty. And they said, Great, let's do that on Monday. And I told you how I put my sellers on the MLSs if they're a buyer. And I'm out showing property Saturday morning. I get a frantic call from my seller saying, Steve, did you see the house at 123 Main Street? And I go, no, I'm, I'm out showing property, but I'll see it when I get back in the office. And they go, you know, well, it's much nicer than ours, and it just came on for three forty nine nine. I go, you know what? We're going to need to adjust then. So, you know, so when we come on Monday, maybe we'll come on at three thirty nine nine. And they go, that's great. Let's do that. Well, guess what? That was on Saturday. On Sunday, the home that came on for three forty nine nine that was nicer than theirs sold. Now it's not on the market anymore. It's not in your grocery line. So we went back Monday and came on the market at three forty nine nine and we sold it that day for three fifty. We got the asking price because we got a buyer that just said, Hey, I don't want to end up in a multiple offer and pay more for the house and I don't want to take a chance on losing it to another buyer. I'm just gonna pay you your asking price and he did. So that's how quickly 
that grocery line changes. So you really can't price your home until you're ready. And then you need to make adjustments according to what happens in, in your grocery line, which again is your competition. And competition changes daily. What do you do if you've determined that the value should be 350 and the seller says, no, I need 580? They're just completely unreasonable. Again, you know, one of the reasons I have my listing presentations here at the office, I mean, there, there's many reasons, but one of them is I want to know that up front. Okay, I don't want to have to go to their house and spend time making notes and pretending I'm writing things down as they show me that their drywall is screwed in and not nailed and they've got this great walk-in closet and, you know, there's beautiful carpet and this and that. You know, I want to know up front if they're going to be reasonable or not. Now, like the guy that I said, he wanted to try a little bit higher. You know, that's okay with me as long as he knows that we're going to need to adjust right away. But if, if, if I say white and they say black and I say blue and they say green, I go, you know, I want to wish you a lot of luck, you know, um, but I don't think we're a good fit. I tell them that, you know, you know, what they're hiring me for is my expertise. And if they're not going to use my expertise, I'm not really the one that they should hire. And I wish them a lot of luck. And I tell them, I hope things work out for you. And I also tell them, if things don't work out, don't be embarrassed. We'd love to help you. Okay, I don't want them not to come back to me when things don't work out. I want them to know that I do want to work with them, but only if they want to work with us. And I take a pass and I take a walk. And I know, you know, a lot of realtors have a hard time doing that. And I had a hard time doing that in the beginning because, you know, like I said, in the old, I'm going to call it the old days, but I'm going to go back, you know, six years ago. It didn't matter where you priced a home because eventually it would catch up. So that was okay. But in the markets we're in now, you know, I don't need homes out there because I'll find that those people that don't want to listen to me will take up 90% of my time. And I'd rather take a pass on them and help them later if they come back to me. But I'd rather work with those who want to work with me and who agree with what I say. You brought up an interesting point. You're doing all your listing presentations in your office. The things that pop up off the top of my head, then you will have some challenges. For instance, how do you know the condition of the home? Okay, um, I don't, and I don't care at that point. Okay, and some of the stuff that I'm telling you, I mean, these scripts that I'm using and and the listing presentations in my office, these are not things that I invented. Okay, I've learned these from others, so I'm going to give some credit due here. I learned from a fellow realtor in Ames, Iowa, called Tom Randall, and I learned from a guy down in Florida, uh, Denny Grimes. You know, because one of the things when I when I was doing this, I found out that if you're making less money, because you know if the market's down 35% or 40%, we might be selling the same number of homes, but our incomes are down. So how could I spend less time and have more appointments and still have balance in my life? And I learned from these two guys, they, they said that they were doing their listing presentations at the office. And I thought that was unheard of. I mean, because, you know, nobody does that. You're trained to, you know, to be a Pop-Tart realtor. Somebody calls you up and you go, all right, I'll be there in 15 minutes to see your house. And they didn't do it that way. They did it in their office. And, and here's some of the reasons why you do that. Number one is you've got control in your office. When you're at their home, they've got control. 
okay? Plus, you've got all your materials and things that you can pull out and show somebody that maybe you didn't bring with you because you didn't know that question was going to come up. And I always believe showing somebody, I can, pull, you know, somebody could go, well, how do I know your listings are really selling in two weeks? And how do I know you're getting the asking price? And I'll open up our closed drawer files and I'll pull out, I'll say, pull out a file. And they'll pull it out. And I'll go, oh, I'll go, here's the data was listed. Here's the data it's sold. Here's what it was listed for. Here's what it sold for. Second thing is, you've got their full attention at that point. Because when you go to their house, and maybe the wife or the husband is feeding the kids, or now they got to go to bed, or you know they got to put a new video in. You know, you don't have their attention like you do when they're here. It also is a qualifier. If they're not willing to come in and spend an hour or so with me at my office to learn what might be best for them, then again, I don't want to work with them. You know, they're probably not going to be the client that I want to work with. So. You know, we have a script, you know, whether it's myself giving it or a team member of mine giving it. You know, when a, when a seller calls in or a buyer calls in, because we do a buyer presentation the same way we do a seller presentation. We have a questionnaire and a script that we go through, and we tell them that our first appointment is here at the office and that we're going to go over, you know, what we're going to do to sell their home. We're going to tell them about what we do. We're going to tell them about ourselves and, and our successes. And if we decide that we're going to work together, at that point, then I'll need to see their home. But I'll list any property. It doesn't have to be the best looking or the best, or the best anything. You know, everything will sell if you make it look the best and price it correctly against what it's what the competition's going to be so i don't really need to know the the condition at that time and and i told you you know i came from the building industry and i could see the profits going away and when i got into real estate you know commissions were 7% and then they were at 6% and i mean we've got people in our market that will do them for 3% and pay out two and a half and i go you know, what is going on here? You're getting rid of what you're going to earn, why you're doing this. So, you know, my thing was, you know, what people want to do is they want you to give them your expertise for free. They want to know how much is their house worth and what do they need to do to get it ready. And then they go, well, you know, we don't care if we hire you or not, but we'll hire whoever's going to give us the lowest commission and they'll do the things because you've already told us what to do. Or maybe we'll sell it ourselves. Well, if you don't see the house first, guess what? I can't tell them, even if they ask me a hundred times how much their house is worth, how much it's really worth. And I can't tell them what to do to get it ready because I've never even seen it. You know, there's, there's some real good reasons for having the presentations here at your office. First of all, you look more professional. It's more of a business deal. You don't see your attorney coming to your house or your accountant coming to your house or your doctor coming to your house. This is a business transaction, and they need to understand. And again, you know, when I first started to do this, I was worried, okay? And maybe you don't have your script down right, and maybe you lose a few when you do. But in the long run, it comes out much better for you. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. 
where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. When you're going to take a listing, you set an appointment in your office. That's step one. And you meet with them. They'll hire you. Uh, Are they going to sign a listing? Yes. What we're going to do is we're going to sign a listing agreement. I tell them we're going to leave two things off of the agreement. We're going to leave a date off of the agreement because our MLS requires that when we take a listing that we need to put it on the market within 48 hours. So we're not going to date the contract at that time because we're not ready to go on in 48 hours. And we're going to leave a price off of the contract. And the reason we're going to do that is because, again, we can't price the home until they're ready to go on the market within a day or two. Okay? So what I tell them is once we sign the listing contract, I'm now working for them. I can start pre-marketing the home to other realtors. I can start pre-marketing it myself to my buyers and my sphere of influence. Let them know I've got a listing coming on the market. I'm then going to send a interior designer to their home who's going to spend an hour with them and consult with them on what to do to win the beauty pageant. They're going to state, they're going to tell them what to do to stage that home correctly. And I have two people that I work with and I pay for one of them. I pay for the one that comes over and consults with them and tells them what to do. And then they're going to go ahead and do it. If they decide that they can't do the stuff themselves and they want somebody to do it for them, then I have a stager that I work with that they would pay for who will charge them an hourly basis to go ahead and stage the home for them. So, you know, when you're talking to your clients, you have to kind of figure out what their, you know, what are their goals? What are they looking to do? You know, again, in a market that's, that's declining, the quicker they're on the market, the better they are. So again, I have another story for him. I have a lady I worked with here in Arlington Heights that, you know, I, I met with her in December and I told her, hey, oh, we need to put your home on the market. And we determined at, at that point, you know, what she needed to do. And we determined at that point that the range she was going to be in was around 490000 500000 And then, you know, she wanted to do everything herself. And we actually didn't go on the market until April. When we went on the market in April, we went on the market at 435000 So because she didn't want to spend maybe $2,500 for a stager, it cost her about $65,000 in price that the home went down. So I explained to them that if, if the things that you're going to do will take a week or two, maybe three, and you feel you can do it yourself, that's okay. But if it's going to take you a month or two months or three months, you're much better to have somebody do it for you. And we've got the right people for that. So, But in most cases, the client comes and says, we're going to do it ourselves. And I send my designer over to the house, and she tells them what to do. And, and then they do it. And then I tell them that once you're almost done, call me. And at that point, I'm going to hire a cleaning crew that's going to come into your home, and they're going to do a three-hour cleaning. I made a deal with a maid service. I said, look, I'm going to give you you know, 40 to 60 homes this year. Can you do three hours of cleaning for me for 60 bucks?" And they said, 
yeah, we'll do that because of the volume I'm giving them. So I tell them, because I want their pictures to be perfect. So I want to make sure that the bathrooms are scrubbed and the kitchens are scrubbed and the floors are clean and, and everything else. So I tell them that once the house is staged, I'm going to hire this cleaning crew to come in. At that point, when I'm hiring them, I also make an appointment because at that point, I want to see their home. So I'm going to come over at that time. I don't want to see it before it's staged because, you know, that won't help me. I need to know what it is I'm going to be selling. You know, what is the product going to look at at the time I'm selling it? So at that point, I come to their house, maybe only there 15 minutes, a half hour. I take a quick walkthrough, see what I've got to deal with, okay? Make any final recommendations that maybe they didn't do, that maybe the stager told them to do, or maybe some, maybe the stager didn't pick up on it, but it's something I picked up on and told them they should do. And then we also make an appointment at that point for them to come back in the office and, like I said, take off your seller hat and put on your buyer hat. We're now going to price your home. When you have your interior designer go over to give them the initial consultation, what kind of cost is that to you? Well, right now that cost is about $100. Um, when I started with her, and I've been doing this way before there was HGTV and stuff like that, I think we started at about $70. It hasn't gone up that much. So really, I already know I have the listing, and my marketing expense at that time is $160. I spend 100 for the designer and 60 for the cleaning crew, and the house for some reason doesn't sell. I'm out $160, but believe me, if they do their their jobs correctly, which they do, you know, that house is going to sell and that's that's a minimal amount of money to be put out there to do that. How long does this process typically take from the time they first meet with you in your office to the time it actually goes on the market? It could be as quick as 2 days and it could be as as long as it takes them to get the house ready. <laughs> You know, it, it, it's it's all over the board. It just depends on how what they need to do and how quickly they can get it done. The time is spent them getting the house ready. Okay, once we come out to take our pictures, you're on the market within you know 24 to 48 hours at the most. One of the things we want to be sure about is remember how we talked about how buyers get emailed all the listings as they come out. We want to be sure that those pictures and the right pictures are attached to that house so that when they get emailed out, they've got photos because the first thing a buyer does if there's no photos, they delete you right off the bat. They have nothing to compare you to. Who's taking the photos of the property? We use two services. Number one is we do it ourselves. You know, we went out and bought a, a Nikon camera that had the widest wide-angle lens of any of the digital cameras. We shoot everything on a tripod. We shoot everything in three different exposures so that we always make sure we have the best lighting. If it's a special house and, and one that's hard for us to get real good pictures in, then hire a company called VHT who's here in our area, and they come out and they do professional photos. Do you pay for the professional photos? I do. If if that's what's needed, I pay for that. That's part of my marketing expense. How much does that typically cost? You know, I'm lucky enough to work for a company called Well Banker where they pick up the majority of that price. So that price to me really is only twenty nine ninety five. And if somebody were at another company or an independent agent, what do you think the cost would be for that? It'd be a few hundred dollars. Which again 
is worth it. If it's something, if you remember, people are buying the home or deciding to come and see it by the photos. I am amazed, and my sellers are amazed when we look at their competition. You know, as we go through it, what some of those photos look like. You know, some are big, some are small. You know, in the same house, half of them are too dark. You can't see the rooms. They're taken with you know stuff everywhere. I mean, it just it amazes me what people are doing out there, and. I don't always blame the seller. A lot of times I blame the realtor for not being strong enough, again, to tell their seller what they need to hear. You know, that's our job. Our job is to give them the expertise so that they can get, you know, do what's best for them. And if you're not giving that expertise and you're not explaining to them how they're going to sell quicker and for more money, you know, it's, you're not, you know, you as a realtor are not doing them justice. Steve, I'm looking at this process, and over the years I've heard of a one-step listing presentation and a two-step listing presentation, and it appears to me you have a three-step listing presentation. My listing presentation is really a one-step, but once I've got the listing, you know, the rest of it is really the things you need to do as a realtor to get a home on the market and, and get it on correctly. But really, I'm meeting with them once. You know, it is twice. It's once for them to understand what we're going to do. And then the second step will be, obviously, the pricing of the home. But at that point, I already know I've got the listing. It's signed up already. Well, because you're meeting once at the office, and you get hired. You have all this work done, and then you go out and look at the property. That's step two for you. And then you bring them back to the office for the pricing appointment where you finalize the listing agreement with the price and the date that you're going to list. So that's why I would say it's a three-step for you. Yeah, three steps that we're doing, but one step to get the listing. You know, We've already got the listing at that time. You were hired. Yeah, I was hired already. So the rest of it I look at just as I would be a step if I was showing the house or a step if I'm, you know, meeting with the client for some other reason or whatever. It's all, that's all part of selling the home. How long is that original appointment in your office? Well, again, we do things a little bit different. You know, one of the things I send out prior to our appointment is I overnight a listing packet to them. And in that listing packet, besides all the you know, Cobble Banker propaganda and all the forms on like lead paint and radon and, you know, stuff about me and everything else. I've got a brochure that's about 12 pages long that we do. Um, And in that brochure, there's a variety of information. I tell them if they don't read anything else, make sure they read that brochure, which I paperclip to the top of the packet with two business cards and a magnet for their fridge. So that way they find it very simple. And in that brochure is some homework, okay? So one of the pages says, here's things I'm going to need from you. Uh, Their survey, their tax bill, their title insurance policy, their condo docs and rules and regs if it's a condominium, their keys. And then we have some homework in there. We have have what we call a property information sheet, which is a two-page form they're going to fill out that's going to say, well, how old is your furnace and how old is your air conditioner? Have you replaced the windows? Do you have an association fee? And if so, how much? Who's the Who's the association company? Who's the contact? What's included? It's a whole form of, of items that I need to know. 
The second thing that's in there is a two-page form. We call it our purple form. It's an insert, and it's purple, and it goes in there. And one side they fill out is kind of a graph, and it talks about their motivation. How motivated are they to sell? How motivated are they to do the things in order to sell? And then the second side of that is is what's important to them. I used to go out and I used to spend three or four hours on a listing presentation and tell them all the things that we do and everything that's going to happen. And I found out that sometimes people don't care about all that stuff. Maybe they only want to know about pricing or commission is important to them or your advertising, whatever it is. So they fill out a form, you know, one to five on we list about 20 or 25 items and, and ask them, you know, please rate these items. So when they come into the office, I look at that and I go, oh, this is what's really interest, what they want to know about. And I spend my time on that and hope that that's enough to get them to sign the listing contract. And if not, I'll go on from there. But my normal appointment at the office is anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half. This homework that you're asking these folks to do, number one, how often do they do it? Number two, how long does it take them to fill all this information out? And again, you have to remember there's different personality types. You know, we have the DISC. So, you know, if it's a D, he's going to tell me he's going to bring it in with him. He's going to usually bring the UPS box that came in. It may even be unopened. And he's going to go, oh, you sent me this stuff. You know, the reason I sent it is, again, it helped differentiate me from everybody else because they didn't get that from anybody else, okay? And then I'm going to worry about that afterwards because really I don't need any of that stuff unless they're going to actually list with me. But here's what happens. Three-quarters of the people do the homework, and they bring it in. And guess what? What do you think I think I know when they brought in all this stuff for me already? I'm going to get that listing, okay? Because they're not going to do that work if they don't think I'm the guy that they're going to use. So, again, it's a way to qualify people on uh, do they want to work with you? Do they want to do the things that, that, you know, you're kind of putting them through a few hoops, but it shows you that they're motivated. They do want to sell. They're going to go with the person that's going to be best for them, and I'm hoping, you know, at the end of the day, that's going to be me. What percentage of the people that come in and meet with you at the office end up hiring you? Um, I would say, you know, 90 and above. Um and and actually i'm going to i'm going to revise that i'm going to say 80 and above because some of the people come in here and they find out i can't sell you know and again i want to know that before i spend a lot of useless time you know seeing their house i don't need to travel out to their house i don't need to spend an hour you know making notes all about their house and then find out later you know they can't even afford to sell in this market because they're losing money or they don't have enough money to bring the closing to get out of the house or it's going to have to be a foreclosure. You know, I want to know those things while they're here, not after I've spent a lot of time. Steve, you mentioned that it was difficult at first to make this transition from doing your listing presentation at the home to doing the listing presentation in your office. If somebody was out there thinking about doing listing presentations in their office, what advice could you tell them or, or what motivation could you give them to give it a try? Well, first of all, I think I've given you there's a lot of reasons why it's beneficial to do that, okay? And, and it really, again, you know, how do you sell somebody? You need to differentiate yourself from everybody else. You know, people group realtors all together. 
Okay, how does Nordstrom sell the same product that you could buy at Pennies? They have a service that they sell, and they make sure that you understand that that service is worth the extra cost for you to have it. Okay, they've differentiated themselves from Penny and Sears and you know the other companies that are like that. Same thing that I want to do. I want to differentiate myself and make sure that the client understands or hopes that the client understands that what service I'm going to provide and the expertise that I'm going to provide is going to be far above what they're getting from my competition. And if I do that correctly, I can charge what I want to charge because they're going to pay me what I'm worth because they want that service. And if I don't get the listing, I don't blame the client. I blame myself. There's something I didn't do, something I left out that did not convince them that my service was worth the extra money. And so do I understand correctly that when you move to this concept that you were able to charge a higher commission and had fewer commission objections? Yes, I I still charge and always have charged a full commission. You know, I don't. I know full commission is different in in different market areas, and I'm always up against competition that is much less than me. One of the things I found out, you know, again coming from the building industry, I didn't want to be working for nothing, and I feel that I'm worth what I charge. And, you know, I, I figured it out one time, and if and it doesn't matter what price range you're in, whether you're in the hundred thousand dollar price range or the million dollar price range, you need to sell and close sixteen more properties to make the exact same amount of money. The difference between in our market six percent and five percent. That one percent difference is sixteen more homes. And every year I go back to our team. I go, you know, our volume could be much higher and we could have much more, you know, numbers of volume and stuff, but we're not going to make any more money. Do you guys want to work harder for the same amount of money? And obviously, you know, the answer is no. We do that during our, our business planning meeting. Again, one of the things that's really tough with being a realtor is balance in your life because you look at your, you know, you look at it and you go, okay, I could take this client out and I could make. or I could go to dinner with my wife. (laughs) It's It's a hard thing, and you need to have that balance in order to be successful. And one of the decisions that we made in our business planning was we would rather have balance and work less to make the same amount of money. I'm thinking about your concept of meeting at the office. I'm thinking about your concept of getting hired before you put a price on the home. Do you do a net sheet for the seller? And if so, when is that presented? At, at the initial appointment, you don't have a price yet. Do you do that at the pricing appointment? I'll be honest with you. I don't do many net sheets. I, I have very few clients that ask me for that. Uh, if we, One of the things I explain to my sellers is you know, every seller has four options. Okay? Your first option is don't move. Stay where you're at. Your second option is rent the property out. Your third option is sell it today as fast as you can because it's worth more today than tomorrow. And your fourth option is walk away and give it back to the bank, either through a short sale or foreclosure. So their decision should not be on, you know, 
am I going to make $10,000 on my house or am I going to lose $10,000 on my house? Now, they may need to know that to know if they can sell or not, but I find it's usually not that close of a decision. The real decision is, am I going to find a way to get out of my house or am I going to stay? And that's really what it boils down to. Now, when I do have clients that are that are going to be that close that, you know, I need to know what it's going to be. I'm going to give them a range because remember, I may not be telling them what their home is worth, but I've done my homework. You know, I'll know from about what kind of house they have and about the size, everything that comes from our seller questionnaire. I'll have a range of probably where their house is going to be, at least within fifty or twenty-five thousand dollars. And if I have to do a net sheet, I'll usually do a net sheet. Like, let's say the home's between, you know, two fifty and three hundred. I'll tell them if they sell for two fifty, if they sell for two seventy-five, and if they sell for three hundred, I'll have my title company do three net sheets for them. And this is what you're going to either make on the house or need to bring to closing on the house if it's one of these three figures. You've asked or determined what their mortgage balance is to make sure they're not upside down? Oh, yes. Those are all questions that we ask in the uh, in the initial questionnaire. Steve, let's do this. Let's move to a different topic for a minute. If I could interject one thing, you know, one of the questions that you asked me was, you know, when you started to do this and you weren't sure you know, about doing the listing presentation at the home. One thing I would tell you is you need to practice your scripts, okay? There are scripts that I use that, that you know, because you know, what's the seller going to say? He's going to say, well, these three guys are coming to my house. Why won't you come to my house? And there's a script that I use for that. And in order, when you, when you first start to do this, because it's going to be scary because it's completely out of the box from what you've been trained to do, okay, but it helps differentiate you, is you need to practice. And you need to practice yourself, and then you'll be practicing on your clients as clients start to call you. That's practice time. Like I said, you may lose a few in the beginning because you stuttered or you know, or just kind of lost what you, what you were going to say or you gave in. But once you get used to it, it'll be a great tool for you to be having those presentations at your office. Steve, let's do that script real quick. Uh, let's say we're talking and, and I want to sell my home. We've been chatting on the phone and we're ready to set things up and you tell me it's got to be at the office. And I'm going to ask you, well, why at the office? I've got all these other people coming out to the house. Well, just so you know, usually they don't ask. Okay, remember the seller is, you know, he doesn't really know what's right or what's wrong. Okay, what I usually say to them is, I thank you for calling. I've I've got all the information I need from you. What I'd like you to do first is come into the office so we can talk about, you know, kind of what's going on in the marketplace, what we do, you know, what makes us a little different. Uh, What is best for you? Are you better during the day or is it evening or weekend better? Okay, and they're going to go, well, let me check my schedule. And, and, and that's usually how it goes. Okay, so now you get the one that says, well, these three guys are coming in. I don't want to come into your office. Why don't you come here? And I'll go, well, you know, I'll be honest with you. One of the things that makes me successful is we do things a little bit different than what other agents do. I'm going to be honest with you, Mr. Seller. If you end up not listing with me, do I really need to see your home? 
And he'll go, well, how are you going to tell me what to do? And I'm going to go, well, you know, again, that's my expertise. I know what I'm going to tell you, you know, what needs to be done, okay? And I do come out and see your house, but first we decide that we're going to work together. So, again, what's better for you? Is, is Are you better during a day or an evening or a weekend? Now, you're going to get somebody that's going to go, hey, if you're not coming to my house, I'm not going to work with you. And I go, Sorry you feel that way. I think it's really worth an hour of your time, even if you don't go with me, to at least hear what I have to say because that will help you with your other realtors. But if you're not willing to do that, I'm going to wish you a lot of luck, and I hope everything works out for you, Mr. Seller. But if things don't, don't be embarrassed. Please call us back. We'd love to help you. I get that very, very rarely. Most of the time, they're just going to agree with what I'm asking them to do, Sometimes I've got to give an answer to the, as we all know, there's certain objections and there's only a certain number of them and there's only a certain number of answers for them. You want to give that. And, you know, I have these scripts written down. So when I'm training, you know, I can give these to other people. And I've, I've written them both as a, if, if it's an agent giving it themselves or if it's a team member giving that script, you know, because they've answered the phone. Is there anything else? on doing this presentation in your office. So one thing that uh, we should also talk about probably is the pre-listing packet. You know, I gave you a lot of information on it, but when I'm part of my script when I'm talking to the sellers, and by the way, I'm going to be sending you overnight a pre-listing packet. So make sure you take a look at it. If you don't read anything in there, paperclip to the top of the packet is going to be a couple business cards and a magnet for your fridge, but there's also going to be a 12-page brochure Please take a look at that because there's some things in there that I need you to bring me when you come in. So I want to make sure that they understand that that's the thing that they want to look at. One of the things, there's a letter attached to that, you know, it's um, that goes out with that pre-listing packet that, again, first thing it does is it tells them, by the way, your appointment is at 11 o'clock on November 12th at our office. You know, because, again, people sometimes forget in between, was he coming to me? Am I going to him? It spells that out. It tells him in that letter that, by the way, we won't be discussing the price of their home until they've hired us, and then we'll be coming out to take a look at it. So I'm always pre-closing people on what's going to happen. You know, that's what you do. You tell them what's going to happen, and then you then you do it, and and that's what I do. I've I've I think pre-closing is one of those things that a lot of realtors don't do. That you need to do all the way through the transaction on things that you want to happen, whether it's how you're going to get referrals from them, you know, things like that. You want to let them know that stuff, you know, over and over and over again while you're working with them. Steve, I want to take a few minutes and talk about how you're generating your business. You've generated 80% of your business from past clients. What are you doing to get your past clients to meet with you? What kind of past client marketing do you have? Obviously, I do a lot of various types of marketing. We do internet marketing. We do all kinds of name recognition type marketing. I own a, a moving truck that has my picture all over the outside that we give to our clients for free to use. But I've always believed that your best client is somebody you've already worked with. 
you know, they already know you, they already love you, hopefully you did things correct for them, that that they're happy with your what your service is. So I've always spent most of my marketing dollars on my past clients. So, you know, I think the National Association of Realtors has a, uh, a statistic out there that, you know, 85% of the clients said that they would use their realtor again, but only like 30 or 35% of them actually do. And most of them can't even remember the name of who the realtor was they used maybe when they bought seven years ago. So I've always believed in keeping in touch with my past clients. So, you know, what I want to do is I want to see them twice a year. I want to talk to them four times a year, and I want to mail them 12 to 18 times a year. And that's what we do. So I do two things for them to see them twice a year. First thing I do is whatever the blockbuster movie is in the springtime, usually around May or so, uh, I rent out a movie theater here, and we put on a big show. We Whatever the blockbuster show is that day, that time, we have the theater. If it opens Friday night, I've got the theater Saturday morning. So it's the day after the movie opens, usually, we have the theater. We invite all of our clients to come. We pay for their uh, movie. We have... Um, uh, what we call stick with Steve Munchbucks. You know, it pays for their popcorn and their drinks. We have a magician there that's entertaining them while the, you know, while we're waiting for the movie to start. I've got slides of of you know our truck and our team and our services and things going on the movie screen rather than, you know, what they were normally seeing. You know, commercials up there or or, or movies that are coming. We've got our stuff up there. Always hire a, an actor, uh, somebody who has something to do with the movie. So, you know, we did Pirates, you know, in 3D. And I had a fellow there who was an actor who played, you know, Jack, the pirate. And, uh, I mean, he was he was scary good. I mean, he was, he, he was exactly the part and people have a great time and he interacts with the audience and the, you know, and the crowd there and stuff again, prior to the movie starting. So we, we send out invitations. We, we, we call those that we haven't heard from. Um, we do that in our normal calls that we make to them. We want to bring up again, you know, we hope you can make our client appreciation party. We don't talk any business there other than before the movie starts. I thank everybody for coming. I thank them for the support. I introduce our team to them, and not just my immediate team, but I also introduce our who we use for our lender or our real estate attorney or our title company. And those people are usually there helping us out with um, with all the logistics of the movie while we're there. And and then I thank them for coming and said, uh, you know, you know, Thanks for all your help and kind of leave it at that. But I never walk out of a movie that I haven't walked out with five or six referrals from right while we're there. I mean, it's just been a great thing. The movie cost me, you know, between tickets and, and popcorn and everything else, uh, all the marketing and advertising, usually somewhere around $3,000. But those five or six referrals will make me $60,000. So it's it's always been a great a great deal and people come year after year we we usually end up with around 250 people at the movie uh each year then at christmas time so six months later approximately i hand deliver a very unique christmas gift to them what i do is on the year that they bought the house i have a lady who hand paints their home the picture of their home 
on an ornament with the date and their names on it. And it's just beautiful. And uh, that ornament cost me somewhere around 25 or $30. Now, every year after that, from when they bought the home, they're going to get an ornament that was designed just for me by this lady. So every client will get the same ornament that didn't buy a home that year. However, it'll be customized to them. Again, it'll have their name. It'll say the Cohens, and it'll say, you know, you know, 2012, and you know, something like that. So it'll all be personalized to them. That ornament cost me about ten bucks a piece. So very inexpensive. And what happens is people will have, you know, these ornaments are so pretty that they always go on the front of their tree. So whenever anybody comes to visit them during the holidays, their friends and family go, where did you get that? Well, my realtor gave it to me. Didn't yours give one to you? They go, no, my realtor hasn't done anything. And they go, hey, when I'm selling, I'm calling Stick With Steve because, you know, I like that. Now, people have gotten to the point now that when I go to deliver these to them, they've got gifts waiting for me. Or I'm on their mailing list now, their Christmas list. So I get tons of cards from all my clients every year, Christmas cards. And then I have people that they invite you in and they want to show you. I have one guy, he has two trees now because he's got like 20 of my ornaments. So he has a regular tree and he has a stick with Steve tree. I mean, it's amazing the kind of what this has grown to. And I have people that buy these special ornament hangers, and they got these trees throughout their house. And one guy hangs them all from his uh, mantle over his fireplace, and you know. And, and here's what you do when when you when I deliver these because it gets to be, you know, it takes me about two or three weeks in December to get to get around. You know, I go, if if they're not, I don't make appointments. I just go to the house. I have an order. I, I, I know the order now. You know, I, I arrange all the ornaments in order, so very organized in the car. I run to the house. I leave the car running. I run up to the front door, ring the bell. If they're not there, I leave it in their door. But if they are there, they're always going to invite you in. I'll walk in the front door, and I'll just say, hey, I hope you guys had a great year this year, and I'm delivering this year's ornament. And they give me their thing that the other cookies or, or rum pie or whatever it is. And uh, and But they always want you to come in and sit in and sit down. And I go, I can't do it. i got the car running because I've got some running behind. i got so many of these I have to deliver. And they understand that's you're just there to make a, you know, to make uh, you know, to see them, you know, make them feel good, that kind of thing, and it, it has worked fantastically. When I first got into business, I used to deliver things, but there were things that once they used it, it was gone. It might be a bottle of wine or a basket or something, and and it was just something that they never kept. But now, every single year, when they take these ornaments out of the box to put them on the tree, they're remembering me. And and that's really, it's it just has become one of my best marketing tools. How many are you handing out each year? Here's what's happened. You know, I told you I handle a wide area, but my main area is the northwest suburbs. So I hand out about 200 of them, and I ship out about three or 400 of them, okay, because I just can't get to all the areas anymore. It's still they're remembering me, and I I track this. I track how many people were home, how many people called me to thank me, how many people emailed me to thank me, how many people sent me a card, 
And, and here, I'll give you a funny story. And I won't use a name because, you know, who knows if she'll ever hear this. But I had a client, and, and for, I sold her a home in 1992. And I've delivered ornaments to her every year to her house. She's never home. I never got a card from her. I never got a thank you from her. I never heard from her again. You know, I'm going, I never got a referral from her. I go, you know what? And I went, I go through my list every few years I would do. And I go, I go, you know, I'm going to take her off the list this year. So we call out the girl who does the ornaments for me. I take her off the list. Two weeks later, okay, I get a call from this girl. And she goes, hi, Steve, how you doing? I go, great, how are you? She goes, yeah, you know, you've always been my guy. I want to thank you for delivering those things every year to me and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, but guess what, you know, I'm finally going to sell my house and I want to buy another one. I call up the girl right away. I got off the phone. I said, put her back on the ornament list. I don't want her not to get it this year now. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you just don't know. And for a $10 investment, you know, if I send it to her for 20 years, it cost me $200. I made about $15,000 on that investment. So, you know, it's just that's how things work out sometimes. You don't think anything's coming from it, but in their mind, you've done the right thing and you've kept in touch with them. And you're their realtor. You're their realtor. So it's uh, it's just a funny story. Like I said, I deliver about, you know, 200 or so, and I, I ship about 300. Once, if they've moved out of my area, you know, out of Chicago, obviously you've got a lot of sellers that have moved, and, you know, I don't send to them because we've got about 1,300 past clients that we still mail to, but we don't send the ornaments to them. We only send the ornaments to those that are still here. So that answers one of my questions. You have a database of about 1,300, and you keep people on the database and continue to market to them even if they move out of the area. Is that correct? Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of them come back. I had a client uh, this year I sold a house to. I actually sold their house last year, and they moved to Indiana. And then all of a sudden they decided we're coming back. You know, so you you don't want to lose those people. You know, for the cost of a stamp, it's just, you know, it's well worth your time to do that. And especially now with a lot of email marketing where you're you're sending things, you know, we've cut back on our direct mail and we do a lot of it with email. You know, that doesn't cost you anything. Steve, you meet with them twice a year. You also talk to them two to four times a year. What are those conversations like? Well, what we've done is, is, and again, anything you do should be a system. You know, anything you do more than once should be a system. So we have a system where every month my one of my team members, actually is my listing manager, she gives me a, an Excel spreadsheet. And on that Excel spreadsheet would be all of the people who had bought a home from me, we use this month as an example, in November, for any year back, but in November they bought a home from me and the date they closed. Then it will have everybody's wedding anniversary that's, that is in the month of November, and then it'll have everybody's birthday that's in the month of November. And it's all arranged according to date, so it's in order. I can just go down the list. So I will call every client of mine on their birthday, their wedding anniversary, or their home anniversary. So if they have... You know, if it's a couple, that's two birthdays, one wedding, one home, that's four times a year. 
and cross them off the list. And I call up, and it's kind of like delivering the ornaments. If you get them, you go, you know, you talk to them a little bit. Yeah, I just wanted to say happy birthday to you. Yeah, I hope your husband's getting you something really nice this year. And, and you have a little conversation with them. If they're not answering the phone, doesn't matter. Just as good as sometimes better. And I say, hey, you know, I just wanted to call and wish you a happy birthday. I hope I was the first. I usually do this in the morning when I first come in. Sometimes they'll call you back and say thanks or they'll send you an email. Or, you know, sometimes you just left a 30-second, you know, minute-and-a-half message for them. And that's okay. You made a touch. I'm going to give you a, a, another kind of funny story. So I have a client that I've I call her every year on her birthday, and, she, and she's always funny. You know, she's like, you know, you God, you told me happy birthday. My husband didn't even tell me happy birthday yet or whatever. And she happens to be the sister-in-law of the lender that I use all the time. Last year, I told you I was sick, and I missed four months of of my business. And her birthday's in January, and I was really sick then, didn't do anything with as far as business was concerned. And she called up her brother-in-law and said, hey, Steve never called me on my birthday this year. He better be sick or something, not even knowing what what had happened. <laughs> and Pete, my lender, you know, he had he was coming to the hospital every day. <laughs> I keep him in business. <laughs> and he goes, well, I hate to tell you this, but actually he's really sick. And, you know, she felt bad about that. And I called her afterwards and said, you know, I don't want you to feel bad. It just happened to be a situation. But people come to expect that from you. Okay, when you miss that, it's funny how you sell them a bear schedule or a bull schedule. You don't send it, you know, one year or it comes out a week late. And all of a sudden, people are calling and going, where's my bear schedule? You know, so sometimes you think that stuff is nothing, but people rely on that stuff. Steve, how do you collect the data for the wedding anniversary and the birthday? Good question. Two ways. First thing is, remember I told you I give them homework in that pre-listing packet? So... For sellers, part of that property information sheet also has a part of their called getting to know you. And it asks them a bunch of questions like when is their wedding anniversary? When is their birthday? When is their, what's their favorite flower? What's their favorite restaurant? You know, things like that so that we have that information. As far as buyers go and sellers that didn't fill out that part, Part of our checklist for after closing out a file after closing is we then call them and get that information from them. And then all that's entered into our database so that, you know, again, it can be spit out to us very simply. Now, along with those calls, we also send a card out for their birthday, their wedding anniversary, and their home anniversary. And we used to do this uh, you know, we used to run to the store at the beginning of every month and buy cards and, and you know, write them all out and label and address them all and stamp them and send them in the mail. But we found a company out there called Send Out Cards. And everything can be automated now. So I don't have to do the same thing every year to the same people. I just have to add in new people as uh, new clients as they become clients into the system. So every year what I do is I design a birthday card for male, I design a birthday card for a female, I design a wedding anniversary card, and I design a home anniversary card. So people don't get the same birthday card every year. And the system automates everything. It, it, it does it. It sends it out for us. It sends it on time. You know, all the dates are in there automatically. 
and everything's done on time. So they not only get a call from me, but they also get a card on their birthday and their wedding anniversary and their home anniversary from us. And it's a great, it's a great tool to use, especially as you, you know, your business is growing and you've got, you know, plenty of clients that you, it just becomes a hassle to do on your own. Approximately how much does it cost to have this send out cards? It's actually less than if I go to the store and buy a card. So, you know, postage is postage. It's the same postage that you would put on it anyways. But the cards themselves, and the more you send, the lower that cost goes. I'm going to say they're around 30 to 40 cents for the card itself. I mean, very inexpensive compared to a card that you go and you buy at the store. And they look great. And they mail them out for you. And they mail them out. They do everything. And, and, you know, we've also now incorporated that into our referral program because one of the things they also allow you to do is attach gifts to them, whether they're gift cards or a box of cookies or a box of candy or some flowers or whatever. You know, they will do the whole thing for you. What else do you mail out to your past clients? Well, we do the the normal things, you know, turn back your clocks. We do all the sporting schedules. Uh, we do a thing, you know, what's going on in the city of Chicago in the summertime because we have a, a lot of festivals that go on there, you know, the dates and, and what's going on and where it is. So we do those kind of mailings. It, it really doesn't matter what the mailing is. It's really more that you're touching somebody. You know, you always hear, well, they look at it for five seconds and they throw it away. I don't care. As long as I looked at it and saw it came from Stick With Steve, that's what it's there for. You know, you just want to be top of mind whenever they either need you themselves or they know somebody that needs you. Tell us about what you do when someone sends you a referral. Let's say uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith send me a, a referral. Their neighbor is going to sell their home. So the first thing we do is we, we, we put in, we get on the computer, we have send out cards, we'll send them a thank you for the referral card that we've designed, along with a small token. It might be a, a $10 Starbucks card or a $10 Dunkin' Donut card or $5 something, you know, to McDonald's or something like that, right? If that referral ends up working with us, we then send them another referral card through send out cards with a little bit bigger gift. It might have a, like I said, it might be tied to a, uh, it might be a, you know, twenty five dollar card for Lowe's or, or or Home Depot or it might be, you know, a dinner card or it might be a box of cookies or candy or something. But what we've done is we've designed a series, so we might have six cards for an initial contact referral, and we might have six cards for a referral that ended up working with us, and that way they don't get the same card and the same gift each time they might refer somebody to us. So we watch that, and, and again, it's a system, it's automated, it's simple for us, and make sure that they understand that we're really appreciative for the referral that they sent us. Do you find there is a certain group of people that refer more business to you than others? Of course, there always is. And do you do anything special for those people? 
yeah, I stay in contact with them more. I make sure that I call them more. I meet them for lunch, or we, you know, my wife and I will go out with them for dinner, or or something like that, just to keep that uh, relationship going. You know, you invite them to a sporting event, or you invite them to, a, you know, you know, we 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 really become friends with our clients. A lot of our clients, we're we're, we're you know, you're almost like family. And and especially the ones that refer you a lot, and that's why they refer you a lot. And uh, so we socialize with them. Steve, why have you been so successful? Oh, good question. <laughs> um, I, I would say it's a variety of things. I think, you know, number one, we're available. Okay, everybody on my team has a smartphone. Everyone on my team understands that when a client calls us or emails us or texts us, we get back to them right away. Now, we might be at an appointment. It might be an hour later. You know, They might call us at night, but we're at least going to call them or contact them and say, hey, we got your call. We may not have the information on us right now, but we'll call you in the morning. Okay? We do what we say we're going to do, and we try to do above what we say we're going to do. So if we tell somebody we're going to do this, we're going to make sure it gets done. We're going to make sure they know it was done. You know, we treat our clients as if they're our family and our friends. Okay, we do what's best for them. That's not what we think we would like, but what how they want to be communicated with or how they want to be treated. But we're always going to give them our best advice. And again, that's a script I use. You've heard me say this three or four times today. My job is to give you the expertise so you can make an educated decision on what's in your best interest. I, you know, my clients know I'm pretty straightforward with them. I don't, you know, sugarcoat it. I'm going to tell them like it is. I'm going to explain to them this is the best expertise I can give you. Now you can make an educated decision on what's best for you. So, you know, we're, we're you know. One of the things I learned from my uncle, one of the best things I learned when I went when I worked for him doing kitchens, was he told me you never lie to somebody. He said because you'll never remember what lie you told to who. But if you tell the truth, it never changes. The story never changes. So no matter what somebody says to you, it's the same. And you know that's something we've always done. We've always you know we don't do things that are in our best interest. We do things that are in our customers' best interest. We work hard. Our clients know that. We stay in touch with them, which I think is is very, very important, as you can see from these things. I think those are the kind of things that make us successful. I think our clients like what we've done, you know, how we've worked with them. You know, people that give a referral are always afraid to do that because they're afraid that what if you don't perform and they were the ones that referred you. But they know we're going to we're going to perform. We're going to do what's best for them. And you know, I give a lot of referrals. I refer my clients a lot and I refer other people a lot. If somebody does a good job for me, I refer them. One of the things that I that I have and, and one of my lead generation things that works very well for me is I run a networking group. This networking group, uh, we meet every single Wednesday morning at 7.15. We're out of there by the meeting starts at 7.30. We get there about 7.15 and by 8.30 everybody's off and, and on to their job. And we have about 50 people in this group, 
And I'll tell you what, at least 40 of them show up every single Wednesday morning. I mean, it's a great group. And 10% of my business comes from that group. And it's just, you know, everybody's there to refer each other, and, and we do. And, you know, people aren't going to show up every Wednesday morning at 7.15 in the morning if they're not getting something out of it and contributing to it. Because if you give referrals, you get referrals. That group works great. And, and we're, we're not a – I've been to referral groups where they're a non-compete group, um, meaning one realtor, one attorney, one home inspector, one banker, one financial planner, you know, one handyman. You know, our group isn't that way. We have four financial planners in our group. So what happens is the cream will rise to the crop. Everybody will click with somebody, and you'll use that person. However, you know, let's say you've got a realtor in your group, and the realtor never shows up or doesn't give any referrals or doesn't, you know, do a good job. Now you're stuck in a group that isn't working. You know, and that's why we, we keep it being, you know, a competing group. You can always get new people in it, which we do, and those that aren't benefiting will drop out, and that's okay. And But this is a group I've been working with for about eight years now, and, and it really does a great, we do a great job. Steve, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Well, there's a few things. Number one, I would tell them to make an, an investment. I don't know any business you can get into that doesn't take an investment. If you want to open a Dairy Queen, what do you have to do? You've got to go to the bank. You've got to borrow $300,000. You've got to work every hour for the next four years before you become profitable. Okay? And you had to invest in your business. People get into real estate because it's simple. You know, People lose jobs and they go, well, I'll just become a realtor. All I have to do is take a class and a test, and I'm a realtor. Well, now what happens? You know, you have no business. Nobody's, they sit at their desk, and they twiddle their thumbs, and, you know, they go, why isn't anybody calling me? Because they haven't done anything to make somebody call them. I think you need to invest in your business, not just money, which is money to market yourself and money to market for your clients, but really you need to invest your time and money to learn. You need to go to conferences and seminars and learn from people that are in the business that are what they're doing and what's successful. And, you know, I always tell an agent, he comes in here and he goes, well, where are you going? I go, well, I'm going to the Star Power Conference. You know, well, oh, how much is that? I go, oh, I don't know. It's $600. Plus, I got to spend, you know, 400 for airfare and 200 for, you know, for eating and entertainment and, and whatever else you're doing there. And they go, wait, you just spent $2,000 to go to this seminar? I'll go, yeah, because not only do I go to the seminar, but I take the ideas that I've learned and I incorporate them in that into my business. And that $2,000 will make me $100,000. And, and they just don't get that. They, you, if you're, right now, we're not the keepers of the information anymore like we used to do. The information's all out there. We've become counselors. We're advisors. We're selling our expertise because the people have all the information. They just don't know what to do with it. You need to be the expert. If you're not the expert... What do they need you for? So you need to become the expert. You need to learn your market. 
You need to learn, you know, your marketplace, you know, not just the homes that are for sale there, but all your neighborhoods. You need to be able to drive from place to place and know where you're going without having to map it out on your phone while you're with people in your car. I mean, they're all things that you need to do to become the expert because that's who they want to hire. You know, what used to be the 80-20 rule became the 90-10 rule, and I think now it's probably the 95-5 rule, you know, where 5% are doing 95% of the business. I'll also tell people you need to have a long-term goal. This is not a get-rich-quick business. This is and they told two people, and they told two people, and they told two people. This is a business that will be very, very profitable to you in the long run if you do things correct all the way through. But you need to do that. And I do believe that in, in, in this particular climate that we're in now and with the way technology is and things like that, a team is the way to go. I don't think you can be a single agent anymore and won't be able to later because you won't be able to do the numbers that are taken to pay for the technology and the marketing and the things that are needed now without being a team. And I always, you know, when I talk to a seller, I say, you know, here's kind of the analogy. You know, if I was a baseball team, would you want one guy out in the field playing all the positions or would you want a professional, you know, have a specialist pitcher and a specialty shortstop and a specialty catcher and a specialty outfielder? Everybody has their specialties and what they're best in. I'm not the best at paperwork. That's why I have a listing manager and a transaction manager. And you don't earn any income not being with a buyer or a seller. So, you know, there's various ways to be a team. You don't have to hire people. You can use virtual assistants. You can use staff people that are in your office. But you need to put together systems and, and and a team to carry out those systems, I think, to really be successful and to be a top agent. And I wish I would have learned those things when I first got in the business. I'll tell you another funny story. I was in the business about two weeks, and I went to a seminar, and I heard a guy named Steve Stewart, and I don't even think he's around anymore. And he had a, his his thing was, buy for me today or get out of my car. And he, he handed out these big pins, which I took one and I, I put on my little cubicle when I started working. And I always believed in that. You know, we're not tour agents. We're here for a reason, okay? And you need to explain that and do the things that get you to that point. So, you know, education is probably one of the biggest things, and it's it's being educated by those that are better than you, and it's being educated by you know, you doing the work to get the information that you can now talk to your clients about and explain to them what makes that, you know, why do they need to know that? And I think those are the the things that I would do to become successful. Do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? <laughs> Extremely valuable. Now, obviously, you know, I just told you about Tom Randall and Denny Grimes. You know, if I didn't go to a to a seminar and learn from them what they were doing, I would still be doing the same thing I always did. Okay, and it's not just them. I've learned from Alexis Bolin. She is the queen of objections. No matter what you say to her, she has the answer. 
And there are drills that you can do. You know, again, you learn from these people, but then you've got to practice this stuff. You know, you've got to, you know, a lot of people go to a conference and they get all pumped up and they tell you you did a great job. And then they go back and they, three days later, they're back doing their regular business again. You need to go, you need to pull one or two or three things out from that conference you learn and incorporate them and use them and then start to grow and then go again and then learn other things and incorporate that into your business. And that's how you really grow. My business went from five and seven million a year to 15 to 20 million a year to 20 to 30 million a year. And my bigger jumps came from when I started to go to these conferences where I learned from people that were already in the business, like a mastermind, like what you're doing here, where people are doing it today. Because what you do today might be different three years from now, and it was different three years ago. You need to know what's working today because you certainly don't have to reinvent the wheel. The wheel's already built. You just need to take the, the, the spokes from it and use them. And that's what I do a lot of. And it doesn't matter if you're a top agent. I go and now learn from agents that are doing much more than me and incorporate those things into my business. And, and those are the things that will, will help you grow. Well, Steve, you give great advice on developing your knowledge base. You've learned how to add value to your clients by being a friend and a counselor instead of a gatekeeper of information. You share your expertise and build knowledge and trust so that your client can make an informed decision. Your in-office listing appointment, house-specific absorption rate, grocery line concept, and worry price strategy result in faster sales, higher prices, and happier clients. You learned new strategies from top agents, incorporated them into your business, and now you are paying forward those successful ideas. Thank you again for being our Top Agent of the Month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who generates 65% of his business from sphere of influence, past clients, and referrals, and sold 274 homes last year. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to the Mastermind Agent Interview of the Month Club. 
where top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com.